Good morning. Good to see everybody. We want to just extend a great welcome to you this morning. If you're online and you're new or you're here this morning and you're new, um, we just want to say welcome. We're thankful to have you. We're grateful that you came and chose to worship with us this morning. And if you're looking for a church home, we certainly hope you might find one here. Um, so I wanted to talk about revival this week because revival, I don't know if you're in, in, the, in, in, in the know and you've been looking, but, but there's this interesting thing that's ha- been happening at Asbury University kind of this ongoing revival kind of a thing that's been happening. What, what kind of seems a, an interesting thing is that uh, the Grammys happened, what, uh, I don't know, a while back. Anybody watch the Grammys? No, because nobody watches the Grammys, right? But Satan got like five minutes of worship um, at the Grammys. I mean, like literally, it was, I don't know if you saw any of the footage of it or anything, but it was, it was literally basically a, a practically a satanic ritual done in a song there, and, and, but then a couple days later, God kicked off a worship service that is still going on, but went two weeks on campus 24-7, you know, for two weeks, and it's just been really kind of an interesting thing, a cool thing, you know, and, and so it's, it's kind of been on my heart, just this idea of what does that look like, and, um, uh, you know, how do we, how, how do we sort through some of that stuff? So what is revival? Well, revival is, is, is kind of a, a, an interesting thing. It's a, it, it comes from the word uh, re, which means again, and vivere, which means to live. And, and so it's this idea to cause to live again, to come back to life kind of a thing. Some good synonyms might be recovery, however you say that. <laughs> recovery, rejuvenation, renewal, resurgence, or resurrection. All of those kinds of things. Um, so, Psalm 85, 6 tells us this. It says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So, this whole thing is going on. Uh, Asbury University, it's in Wilmore, Kentucky. And, and, and it was just kind of an interesting beginning to this whole thing. What happened for them, what would seem to be, is that they just had their normal Wednesday uh, evening worship service. And that service just didn't end. It literally just, there was no expectation, no, no idea that anything different was going to happen. This is my understanding. They simply had their worship service, and at the end of this worship service, just the Holy Spirit just fell on the place, and they just kept worshiping and kept worshiping and kept worshiping. And then people from all over the place, Christians from all over the country, have been coming and showing up there, um, which really shows you just a deep desire for Christians to experience. It just shows a longing that's within the church body to experience something that's real and deeper. In seven and a half days, the, the live stream that they had on this thing had like 24 and a half million views already. I have no clue what it has today, but, but 24 and a half million views after just seven days. So, um, you know, the idea of to revive has the connotation of the idea that you can't, you can't bring something back that, that wasn't there in the first place. You can't revive something or restore something that did not exist before. So the whole idea of revival is, is, is kind of a, a, a picture of God's church being brought back to life, God's church being kind of ushered back into his presence. Um, and so what, what kind of things should happen in a revival? Well, A, we should have an emphasis on Jesus, right? Jesus should, 
always be the, the focal point of any kind of a revival. <coughs> it's repentance. There's, there's an accompaniment of, of repentance, the idea of turning away from our sins. The, the, the word repentance, remember, it's one of those Christianese words. It's, it's one of those words that people start yelling and spitting and slapping their Bible and screaming, repent, you sinners, right? But, but, but repentance is simply a turning. It, it means we were going one direction, and it means to do a literal 180 and go back the other direction. So repentance becomes a part of, of revival, a passion for prayer. And that's something that's going on. Both of these things are, are things that have, all of these things so far are things that we're really are seeing it at Asbury. Um, there's a hunger for the word, God's word being a desire to, to get into his word, to understand his word, to read his word, to preach his word. A burden for the lost, a, a burden for the world out there. You know, so, sometimes I think that that's, that's the thing, that one of the things that needs revived in us the most is, is the reality that, that of what the Bible teaches, that apart from Jesus, people are lost for eternity. And, and so if we believe that, and we've had an experience with this God, then we should have a burden for the lost. There are salvations that generally happen in these things, and, and, and we'll talk about the difference between a revival and an awakening, because our country has seen some great awakenings as well, but many times there, there's, there's, a, there's salvations that are happening. <clears throat> and then there's a calling to ministry and to missions. So there's a missional component to this, and all of these things are, are something that the, the Holy Spirit is doing. You see, you can't manufacture this. You, you can't make this happen. Now, that's we're going to probably see... A lot of places, a lot of opportunities are people that are trying to manufacture things. And, and my big hope for where they're at now today is that they don't feel a pressure or a sense of need to keep going with something just because it's been going, that they're, that they're really um, just listening to the Spirit. And, and when the Spirit says it's done, it's, it's done. But... What I really like about it were, were some of these things. Like I said, it, it seemed to just be a worship service that just didn't end. Every expectation of it ending, just almost like it happening like, say, today here, we have an expectation. But imagine if we just had the expectation of that, you know, we're going to get out of here whenever this guy shuts up um, and, and we can get out of here. But, but what if, like, something happened and, and the Spirit of God fell on this place? And what's interesting is that people who were there did not want to leave. People weren't looking at their watches. They weren't desiring to leave, and that's something that, that the people talk about, that as they come into this place and into this service, that they just don't want to leave it. It's really cool, too. One thing, another thing I like about it is that there were several Christian celebrities that said, hey, we would love to come and do worship or be a part of this or speak or whatever, and they said, no, we're going to keep the focus on Jesus. And we're afraid if we give it over or the, starts to go to the celebrities or something that it'll lose something of what is happening here. And so they said, you're, you're welcome to come and experience it, but we actually don't want you to come and take over the, the service. <clears throat> so then, then, then you'll see that there's, there's a ton of people that are like, well, it's not real, it's not this, because we don't see this, we don't see this, we don't see this, and all kinds of critics and you know, that, that's the reality, and, and I'm not saying, I don't, I don't know, you know, it seems to me to be an interesting move of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, you, what there is, too, is that we see that it's spreading to other universities, Lee University um, and Belmont University in Tennessee, Cedarville University in Ohio, um, 
And actually, I saw a whole list of universities, it was like 31 long, of places that are saying, hey, we're starting to see our young people have a renewal and a revival kind of a thing. <clears throat> and then people say, yeah, but there are weird people that are showing up there and doing weird stuff. And I'm just going to say that that's part of it, you know. <laughs> I mean, you have a move of God happen, there's going to be creepy Christians that show up. I'm just telling you, they're, they're going to come. It's just, it's, they're gonna, it's just going to happen. I promise you. You know, that doesn't mean, though, that it's not authentic what's going on. And I, honestly, I'm, I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I, I think, honestly, that time is going to tell what happens with this. Wisdom is vindicated by our children, or, or a, a greater understanding of many times is, is understood by what happens. But, but this has been a very powerful event in many people's lives. And, and you know, and, and like I said, too, you know, with the creepy Christian thing, like, if you don't know any creepy Christians, then there's a chance you might be a creepy Christian. I'm just saying, I... I, 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 don't, I don't know, I'm not judging, I'm just saying. But there's a lot of creepy Christians out there, and of course they're going to show up. And of course they're going to do weird stuff. But again, that doesn't necessarily take away the reality that maybe God is doing something really interesting in our culture today. So renewal, let's talk about this idea. Renewal, I think, is more of an individual kind of a thing. And the beauty of this is that we don't have to travel to Asbury. We don't have to go to Kentucky to experience renewal and, and a presence of the Holy Spirit. You have access to that. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus, then the Holy Spirit abides and lives in you and renewal and, and, and that, that, that revival within ourselves individually is always accessible to us. It is. We don't have to go somewhere far off. We don't have to go anywhere to experience a renewal. Because the Spirit of God lives in us. But then again, this idea of a revival, it's within the church. So sometimes there's been a lot of criticisms about the idea, well, the gospel isn't going out. We don't see the gospel going. And they're not preaching the gospel every five minutes in this thing. But you see, preaching the, the gospel isn't necessarily the component of the revival within the church because the church has responded to the gospel. If you've responded to the gospel, then you're in the church. And, and this idea of of revival is something that God is going to do within his church. Now, then there's an awakening, too. There's the concept of the idea, and we've had many uh, large awakenings within our culture, and, and that would be when the wider society is affected by what God is doing in the church. In other words, when the revival of the church begins to go out into the culture around us, we see an awakening of the culture around us. So we're living in a time and a place where we, we've actually seen a revival in the wrong way. We, 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 I think that our world is beginning to be really primed for a revival and an awakening within our culture and within the world that we live in. Because, see, we went the other way for a long time. We, we've become a culture that is uh, magnifying and glorifying all of the wrong things. Focused on the wrong things. Focused on stuff and position and power and sex and money and drugs and all kinds of different things have become really the focal point. And, and that's leading our culture to a place of real brokenness. And I believe it's going to lead the, the, the world to a place of saying, we, we want answers. We, we want something different. We want truth. We went down this road long enough, and we see what's at the end of it, and there's nothing at the end of it. And so, therefore, it primes a place in a culture for something to happen. 
<clears throat> and see, the Spirit doesn't always move in the same way throughout history. We see times in history and in the Bible where the Spirit of God has moved heavily upon His people, and, and, and we've seen these big movements that have happened. A greater outpouring of, of God. When, and, and this is our times when, when God chooses to reveal Himself in a special way. See, because God has a plan, and He has a predetermined idea of, of how this is all going to shake out and how these things, and he's at work in the middle of it, and he's, he, he's bringing these things in the fullness of time. We see different things occur and happen, even the, his son coming at the perfect time, right? Well, what did that look like? I don't know for sure, but there are some interesting things that were going on. For one, there was Koine Greek, which was a, a, a merchant language. It was a, it, was a, it was a universal language that most people understood Koine Greek, and the Romans through their conquering of the world, they built roads all through the, through the world, basically, through Asia and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, it, and it primed the pump for the gospel just to go out from there. So what, have, what has happened in the, in the past? Well, I'll, I'll go through a few that I've just kind of looked up. In 1802 in Yale University, which if you don't know it, Yale and, and Harvard were both seminaries to begin with. Um, in 1802, out of 230 students... Um, a revival broke out, and a third of those students became believers. Asbury, this isn't their only one. As a matter of fact, I think that they claim to have had nine of these revival-type uh, scenarios. 1905, 1908, 1921, 1950, 1958, 1970, 1992, 2006, and now 2023. Um, in 1857, a lay missionary named Jeremiah Calvin Lanfier hosted a prayer meeting for New York businessmen. The first meeting that he did, six people showed up. Six guys showed up and began to pray. In one year, 10,000 people were praying at that lunch meeting. 10,000. And they believed that a million people came to Christ as a result of that. There was an Azusa Street Revival in 1906 through 1915, and, and it was a very Pentecostal um, revival. Many of the Pentecostal churches that exist today actually have their beginnings there. The Assembly of God Church began at that. In 1950, Wheaton College captured the attention of the nation through a revival, and Time Magazine actually even covered it. Now, what's really interesting to me about this is that this whole thing, this Asbury thing, is pretty newsworthy, really. Anybody seen it on the, main, on the news anywhere, like the regular news? Because the regular news isn't interested in, in, in reporting on things like this. This is an interesting thing. There are people call, traveling all, from all over the world to come and see what's going on there. It's been going 24-7. I mean, there are so many things in this world that if it had been going 24-7 and just broke out, they would be like, oh, we've got to cover this. This is newsworthy. But not this. But that's okay, because we don't need the media. Um, there have been several awakenings. The first great awakening happened in 1730 to about 1760, they say, the, the results kind of, that it kind of went on. And, and it was with great leaders like people like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, who, by the way, preached 18,000 sermons. He didn't even preach in, in churches because the, the audience that he drew was so big. One time he preached for, in front of 30,000 people. 
And, and this guy went, and these guys were, they were traveling through, through different places and all back through the colonies. And at that point in time, sometimes we think that it was much different back then, like that everybody went to church. But when the Great Awakening happened, only about 10% of the people were going to church on a given Sunday morning, which is about exactly what we have right here in Sheridan right now. Roughly in Sheridan, Wyoming, there are about 10% of the people of Sheridan that attend church on a given Sunday. So it's a big mission field out there. 90% of, the, of our friends, families, and neighbors and those kinds of things don't attend church on a given Sunday. John Wesley was another one of them. Uh, at that point in time, the population of the colonies was about 340,000 people, and 50,000 people came into a relationship with Jesus during that time. It added 350 churches up from 20, um, and it impacted the colonies greatly. And as a matter of fact, it changed the trajectory of this nation. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, our nation wasn't founded as a Christian nation. Make no doubts about that. We were not a Christian nation. Like, like Nepal is a Hindu nation. And there's a requirement almost to be Hindu. That's what it would look like, almost a compelling of people to be Christian. But our nation, no doubt, was founded on the principles of Judeo-Christianity. It was founded on those things. And, and, and most of the guys that were a part of that were at least deists. But the whole colonies were greatly impacted. The denominational barriers came down and missions went out. These are the results of this stuff when this happens. They begin to minister to the Native Americans even around them and those kinds of things. The second Great Awakening happened in about 1790 and ran to roughly 1840. It started with 20, uh, roughly, within a, roughly 20 churches and it grew to 19,000 by the time the Civil War came in. It, it, it was an evangelical movement. As a matter of fact, evangelical, I'm going to trip on this word too. Evangelicalism came out of this. The, the, the idea of a personal relationship with God. Um, pushing back against people reliant on priests and ministers for their relationship to God and an understanding that, that, that you can have a personal relationship and faith. It rejected the enlightenment influence in the world or, or, or just the idea that we were getting so smart that we were going to fix our own problems, right? Which is kind of what we think today, too. Except, again, we won't innovate ourselves out of the problems that we have. And the reason that we won't ever innovate ourselves out of the problems that we have is because we still carry this basic sin problem within us. So any of the, the great technological advances, and they are great, that we come up with are, 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 are marred by our sinful nature. And as much as they have the capacity for great good, they have the capacity for incredible evil as well. And so we see that, but it's because we bring ourselves with it. <coughs> they rejected rationalism and deism, or just the idea with deism, that God was just this generic God. He was just kind of out there. He, was, he wasn't a personal God. He didn't really necessarily care, or you couldn't really understand him or, or have a relationship with him, but he's just kind of there. Kind of a Gnostic, or agnostic kind of a position. You know, that, yeah, I believe in the God, but, but he's so 
just generic and so just kind of nebulous and out there that I can't, you can't get a hold of him. They began to preach and, and, and tell the people, no, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. And these guys began to ride horses all through the frontier. These frontier preachers, Methodists and Baptists, to a large degree. And, and they went out and they reached out to all of the people in the frontier. They reached out to slaves. And that led to abolition. See, the abolition of slavery in the United States right here as it happened and in Europe began because of its Christian roots. It, was, they, it led to abolition and temperance. Temperance was like no alcohol, period, right? Absolute, just uh, none, zero. And, and I was reading through some interesting facts about that because, you know, at that point in time in history, the average person 14 and up was consuming 7.1 gallons of alcohol per year. Now, to give some perspective to that, in 1998, the average was 2.8 gallons here. So, so three times the level of alcohol was being um, consumed in the culture there. And, and, and the, the devastation of that, I can't even imagine, to be honest with you. See, we can get down on, and, and let me just say that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I never want to put on people what I don't think that the Bible puts on people. But, but the Bible is very clear about one thing, and that's about getting drunk. There's a big problem with that. And I can tell you that culturally, in the, in, in, where we live, in the world that we live in today, that by far, by so far, the problems and the pain and the really big problems that we see in the world today have alcohol at their roots. Drugs, we get down on that, right, because we're more comfortable with the other. But, but, um, but you can take all of the drug use that there is and combine it, and it doesn't compare with the fallout of alcohol. Now, now I'm not throwing rocks at, at, at responsible people, adults in that scenario, but I can tell you that... that that the culture, when it looks like that, and there's that much consumption, then there's, there's incredible brokenness. It just is. It just goes with it. It was a time where social work, really, the this, this social aspect of the gospel began to go out, and, and, and people began to meet the needs of, of, the, of the communities around them. Volunteerism really jumped and came. Uh, <coughs> the idea of free will over just total predestination began to take traction. A little bit later in the 60s, we saw the Jesus movement. And there's, the movie is, is at the theater right now, so go check it out. I've heard it's great. I haven't got to see it yet. But um, there's this great show about, about these surfers and all of this stuff and, and this Jesus movement that began um, basically in California, in Southern California in the 60s and went through the mid-70s, um, which led to contemporary Christian music, Informal dress at church, and they really prioritized youth ministry. But there was a whole movement, and, and many people came to know Jesus. So what does the Bible say about all of this? And, and I think the Bible is really plain about this idea of revival within our culture and within God's people. Second Chronicles 29 is about when... when a king of Israel basically went and they, they tore down all of the, 
the, the, uh, the idols and all of that stuff, and they reinstituted the, the, the bright and proper worship of God. And, and we see the restoration of God's people. The, the book of Jonah is a book of, of awakening within a culture, you know. Not on Jonah's part, not on the guy who was supposed to want to go, right? He was supposed to want to go and to desire to see these people changed, right? The Ninevites, right? Anybody remember what's wrong with the Ninevites? Fish lappers. Exactly. You only get that if you had veggie tails and all that. But, no, the Ninevites. And remember that, that he, he was so opposite of Jesus. There was an opportunity for him to go, and he went the opposite way. He went the other way. He booked a, 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 a ship going the other direction. And, and God had to work all kinds of things and said, no, Jonah, you're really going, and spit him up on the shore. And, and he went and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll preach to these people, but... Man, I can't wait for you to, I'm going to get a front row seat when you destroy them, God. And then much to his surprise, what happened? He gave the message to them, and they turned, and they repented, and they changed. And, and, and we see this picture of Jonah, this picture of our hearts, how we don't really want to go so many times. We don't want to go to the places that God would call us to. We would go the opposite way. But God wants to do a work in the people. He wants to do a work in the whole world. We see in John the Baptist's time that there was something happening and many people, were, people were coming down and they were, they were getting with John the Baptist and he was preparing the way for Jesus. He was baptizing all these people. We see it at Pentecost where all of a sudden there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church is birthed. Peter preaches and 3,000 people come into the church right then. And then it goes out from there, and it just keeps going, and it's still going. And we're about as far away from all of it as you could get. But it got to us. It got here. But you see, renewal and revival really comes when God's people prepare themselves for it, when we get ready for it. If you say, what do we do with this whole thing of Asbury and revival, and we see, what do we do? Well, you start getting yourself ready for revival. We start getting ourselves ready that if God would want to do that, if he would do that here, that we would be a prepared people for that, that we would begin with us, that we would really seek first and foremost a renewal within ourselves, that we would get before the Lord. Acts 3, 19 and 21, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Isaiah 57, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite heart and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Click. James 4, 8 through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Glad you came. It's this idea of just getting real. Getting real with what's going on inside of here. So many times I have, a, I, I have an elevated view of how I'm doing or who I am. I have this elevated, I have this perspective of who I am and what I'm all about and that I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy or whatever. And I could probably round up like four people that would agree with that. And, um, and, and those are the four people that I want to talk to. And um, But then there's a the reality of me. There's a reality of what goes on in here and in here. There's a reality of what doesn't get from here to here so many times. And, and God is just calling us to be real. Not to shame us, not to, not to destroy us, but actually to heal us, to, to help us to get real. You see, admittance is the first step to getting healed up. See, if you, if you can't admit it, then you're in denial and there's no hope in denial. Ask anybody in addiction, they'll tell you that. There's no hope in denial because there's no need. There's no recognition of a need for help. It's not that God doesn't want to help. It's not that God doesn't want to visit us in these places. It's not that God doesn't want to heal us. It's that until we'll admit, we're not going to let him in. We won't open the door. John 12, 24, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We get that one wrong a lot. We, we think about this idea of taking up our cross and we say, well, we, we, we think about the biggest burden that we have in our life and we say something like, well, that's just my cross to bear. No, it's not your cross to bear. You were never called to bear a cross in that sense. You weren't called to be the sufferer. Jesus is the one who was the sufferer and who suffered on our behalf that we wouldn't have to. <clears throat> but no doubt, the cross is an instrument of death. I mean, the cross to us is... We think about the cross and we think, well, everybody wears cross, all these crosses. You see crosses all the time on people. It becomes even a fashion statement. And, and it's minimized the meaning of what it really is. But the, the cross was about being subjected to, to just incredible, uh, just to be humiliated before everyone. It, it was about humiliation. It was about degradation. It was about pain and it was about suffering. We'd probably get it more if we wore something like an electric chair or a, or a hypodermic needle around our neck or something that represented the idea of, 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 of the death penalty. But you see, the cross had become something different. But, so, but the cross, this cross that we have to pick up daily and follow him is this idea that try has got to die. The, the old try has got to die. He's got to go. He's got to get out of the way so that God can do a renewal. I've got to admit the reality of who try is, what the capacity of try is, how wrong try can be, how arrogant, how prideful, how sinful, to get real with that, that I might open the door to God's cleansing spirit in our lives. This is the picture. But you see, before that can happen, I've got to become good and properly dead. To me and alive to Christ. 
You see, this is the picture. This is the gospel. The gospel is death to ourselves and who we are and what we represent and what we chase and all of these things and becoming alive to Christ. And, and being alive to Christ is the way that we were truly intended to live which is in, in harmony and relationship to our Creator. Not separated, not going our own way, not doing our own thing. But there's a hard necessity to that, and that's death to self. It's denying, to our, denying our own selves and following Jesus. You see, with Lazarus, he didn't really do much in that whole thing except become good and properly dead. And Jesus brought him back to life. See, we don't bring anything to this recipe. We come with empty hands and empty pockets. You don't bring anything to this. You don't bring any goodness to it. You just come and die to yourself. I'll remember the day that my life changed. I was 32 years old, and it was so dark. It was dark on the inside, and not so much on the outside. Nobody else could really see it, but it was dark here. And I knew that the direction that I was going and what I was doing and what I was living for was producing death. I felt like I was on a bus and I was driving the bus and I couldn't turn the wheel and I was headed over a cliff. And I had created a God in my own creation. I created a belief system. I was a guy who was like, it was like a spiritual salad bar. I was like, yeah, I'm going through the line. I'm like, yeah, that looks good. Take some of that. Have some of that. Put a little of that on top. Yeah, oh, no thanks to that. No thanks to that. And oh yeah, I'll have some dessert. And I finally came to recognize that I had become the God of my own belief system. I was the highest authority. Whatever I wanted to be permissible in my world was because I was the one who determined what was right and wrong. I had fallen into the basic core deception of humanity is that you won't need God. You can just be God. You can just do your own thing. You, you determine what's right and wrong. You determine what's good for you. How do you feel today? Because that's the truth. Well, that's not necessarily the truth. It's far from the truth most times. If you chase your feelings, what does the world tell you to do? The deception of the world, follow your heart. Follow your heart. What's God say? That the heart is deceptive beyond all things practically. It'll take you in the wrong direction. I don't know about you, but I can justify what I want to do in about 0.2 seconds. I need, I need an authority outside of myself. And I know that my life changed on the day that I said this. I said, God, I don't know who you are. But I want to know you. And I want to follow you. So if you'll show me who you are, I'll quit making you into who I think you ought to be. And much to my surprise, my great surprise, and I've told you this many times, I became a Christian. And I would have been anything but a Christian. I would have. I didn't even like Christians. I thought Christians were really dumb. And crazy. Creepy, too. But Jesus got a hold of my life. He changed my life. And he's changing me still. And, and, and I, don't, I don't have it all figured out. I, I don't sit here before you as the guy who's got it all figured out. And I'm some spiritual thoroughbred that's running about... 13 links in front of everybody else. I'm struggling just like you guys are. I'm struggling to, to, to change, to be who God has called me to be. 
I'm struggling to figure out how to do this whole thing and, and how to lead a church and, and, and how to deal with my own stuff. I don't know where you're at today, you know, but I know you got things. I know we have all got things in here that none of us are, none of us have figured that out. And there's some great inhibitors that get in our way that keep us from getting where God would have us to be. Unforgiveness, resentment, bigotry, hatred, sin in our lives, the acceptance of it. All of these things are, they're, they're things that, that stop us short, our pride, our arrogance. At times, even our spiritual pride. Masquerading, masquerading, the old man masquerading on the throne of our heart, emulating a spiritual person so that yourself might sit on the, heart, on the throne of your own heart. You see, it's so deceptive, sometimes we don't even get it. But see, God is faithful, and he's, he's ready, and he's, he's ready to bring renewal and, and change to us. And, and so here's the deal. I'm going to challenge us all with this. It's okay to be wherever you're at in this process. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe you're dealing with your pride, your ego, your arrogance. Maybe I'm dealing with those things. Maybe, maybe we're dealing with our unforgiveness. Maybe we're dealing with our resentment. Maybe we're dealing with our anger. Maybe we're dealing with things that have happened to us in the past. Maybe we're dealing with, with whatever. Wherever you're at, it's okay to be there. Where it's not okay to be is not on the journey towards something else. Maybe you know in your heart you need to forgive. Okay? That's a process. That doesn't always, it can happen like that, but generally... It's a process that we're working through in our lives. It's a process that's happening. It's God moving us, and, and it's okay to be where you're at today. I'm not going to tell you where to be, but I am going to tell you that if you're not on that journey, please get on that journey. Just be willing. Be open. Admit. Admit. Maybe you, I, can, I can tell you I can identify with this. Maybe you can identify with me today. Maybe you feel like you're just too tired, and there's so much that's went on that you just can't have it, you just don't got it in you, you don't feel like you've got any effort in you. God can work with that too. You just give him that. Just tell him, God, I, want, I just want to, but I can't. I want to, but I got no energy. I'm struggling here. But God, you're greater than my struggle. You're more than this. You're able. See, I remind us of this, Second Chronicles 7.14. If we want to change the world, we got to quit pointing at the world. We've got to quit pointing our fingers at outside of this church and saying it's all them. It's their fault. It's what they're doing. You see, this is a, that's a victim mentality. We are not victims in this. We're conquerors. And we have a God who's able and sufficient to work in our hearts and to work in our minds and to change us and to bring us into harmony with who he is and what he wants to do. You see, it begins this way. If my people who are called by my name. That's the church. It begins with a call to the church. Humble themselves. Cast off arrogance, pride, spiritual pride, all of that stuff. Humble themselves before God, on our face, before the Lord, and pray. And seek God's face in earnest. 
humble, seeking, and praying. Seek, and you'll find. And they turn, repent from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We want different results out there. It's got to start looking different in here. And then in here. And this is the process that we're going through. And I just hope today that you're just in that process. Don't stay outside of it. We have a neighbor that I talk to a lot over here. Well, I say a lot. Last time I got to talk to him was about a year ago. Okay? So listen to me. I used to talk to him a lot. And I don't know what happened, but one day he came into the church, and um, he came into the church to bring something in. And I don't know what happened, but somehow he got really offended by something that happened in here. There was some people left over, and I don't know what the deal was, but he wrote me the nastiest letter the next day, put it in our mailbox. He said, I'll never come into that church again. I'll never do it. I'll never come in. I'm blah, blah, blah. It's a blah, blah, terrible place. Okay, whatever. Okay, I, I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, so anyway, and he's just, he's, 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 he's a hard-headed guy. I love him. He's a hard-headed guy. And from his childhood, though, this is a guy who is harboring the hard things that happened to him as a child. And he will not forgive, and he will not let it go. And it has created in him this anger and this angst. And this anxiety that he has lived with for 80 years. 80 years. He dropped, he's one of the most angry guys on some level. And then he's so soft and sweet on the other side. He stopped in the church about a week ago or so. And we got to talking and visiting, you know. And he mainly was talking about Cali. And he was just saying, I, I don't know how you're still where you're at. And I said, I don't either. You know, it, it's just God. I know I'm in because I'm not out right now because of real things and hard things and he's like how could a God let that happen and I got to tell him about what God is doing in the midst of it and how I've gotten to see what God is doing in the middle of the pain and the hard things and the brokenness in that and the difference that her life is making and I got to tell him look look full lives don't equate with long years you can have a short life that's full, or you can have an old, long life that's incredibly empty. It's not the same. Old age isn't a full life necessarily. And this guy's held on to this for so long, and I just, I got to pray with him. And he just bawled, and he cried, and I said, you got to forgive him. you got to forgive your family. And he said, they're dead. I can't forgive them. And I said, forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. It's to set you free so that you're not in bondage to these events in the past. You've been in bondage to the past for 80 years. And God has given us a recipe to get out of that. And it's forgiveness. And that's probably one of the biggest ones that keeps us locked in a place of anger, angst, and anxiety. Is our anger, our, our resentment, our unforgiveness. So, Lord, we just pray that you would help us. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, just to be willing. 
We're, we're willing, but sometimes we don't even have the energy, God. We don't even know what to do. Or God, our circumstances are changed or different or a lot of waters under the bridge. And God, we're just asking that you'd help us. God, you would just meet with us here. That God, that you would take this heart and, and bring it into agreement with who you are. That you would reshape these stony hearts and give us a heart of flesh. Help us to care for the world like you do, Lord. Help us to, to care about even our own walk and our own condition. Lord, may we speak forgiveness into the whole thing, Lord, and we just humble ourselves before you and who you are. That, God, you're the creator of all things, and, and that, God, you're good enough. You're good enough. You, you, you've come for us, and you've loved us in this place, and you've loved us despite who we are. And so, God, help us just to be real and, and to just admit and to allow you, God, to do the healing and to bring the wholeness that only you can bring. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.